Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Ruffle Cuff Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. I'm a retired NYPD sergeant from Manhattan North Homicide Squad, 27 years of service. And with me tonight, straight out of Brooklyn, retired NYPD detective Phil Grimaldi. How you doing tonight, Billy? I think this is going to be a great show. Uh, this sounds really interesting. Uh, another tool in the toolbox, as we say. Absolutely. And with us tonight, it's a little bit of an unusual guest because he has the uh, three letters CEO, which means chief executive officer, not CO, correction officer. So he's a real CEO of a company called Conversus. And we're going to talk to you about what they do. It's unusual, a little bit different than the shows we usually do. But first, we're going to go to the Police Off the Cuff intro song. It's a show with two retired detectives that were in the thick of New York crime, fast and hectic. They got some stories and some jokes. Even an interview with the most popular folks. Off the cuff, off the cuff. One episode, just saying enough. Get a little laughter and an interview too. It's maybe the best thing you can do. Todd, so welcome to the show. And I mean, your product is unbelievable. And I'll just give a quick uh, synopsis of it. Basically what it does, it's a camera that looks into the eyes of, of people. And we know from being homicide detectives that when people lie or being untruthful, their eyes constrict. And when someone's being positive, happy, and telling the truth, their pupils dilate. And basically, to put it in a nutshell, your uh, camera reads uh, the pupils. Is that correct? That's correct. It's a what we call a next generation lie detector. It's a it's a tool that enables you to detect if someone is lying by monitoring these uh, minute changes at sixty times per second, at up to a hundredth of a thousandth of a millimeter uh, in real time uh, while they answer questions that are presented to them on a computer. So, Todd, if I come home from going out drinking and I see my wife has one of these contraptions <laughs> on the table, should I just go back out and leave? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd, be a little Joe Murray, yeah, yeah. I'd be a little concerned if I see that contraption on my kitchen table. I'm just turning around and going back out, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, that it's really interesting, but when you do uh, get involved in like a police type of interview interrogation, you really can't look that closely into someone's pupils. I mean, here's the picture of this woman with these beautiful blue eyes and the pupil. It's very clear, but most people can't see that deeply into someone's eyes unless you're inches away from them. That, that's that's correct. Um, you know, a lot of people think that they can tell if someone's lying by just looking into their eyes. The reality is we're measuring uh, changes at about a tenth of a millimeter which is technically is something that you can't see with the naked eye. 
you can see it with a special eye tracking camera that, as I mentioned, is is taking um, a snapshot every uh, millisecond, so 60 measurements per second um, at, at up to a hundredth of a thousandth of a millimeter. And when we're all done with a test that lasts about 15 minutes, including an explanation of what you're being tested on, uh, and then pull all that data together, it, it's up to a million individual data points where we use a computer in, in under two minutes to analyze that data and see trends um, and see these changes that in the end uh, give us an indication of whether or not they're lying to certain topics that they're being tested on. So if this is compared to a lie detector, it's uh, much less intrusive, correct? Yeah, that was really the goal behind it. Um, the five scientists that came up with this, uh, two of them are the scientists that invented the computerized version of the polygraph. Polygraph's been around since 1921. And in uh, 1988, uh, two of our scientists, Dr. John Kircher and Dr. David Raskin, uh, moved the polygraph from the analog device, like you see in the movies, you know, with a rolling drum and the, and, and you know, the, the, the tracking of these emotional changes. They moved it to a computer and they, they developed an algorithm that could more accurately identify what was actually happening. And in 2001, so that happened in 1988, and it's really the, the polygraph that's used worldwide today. In, 19, in 2001, they started to, to say to themselves, you know, what we really need is something that's less intrusive something that you don't have to get hooked up to a bunch of these sensors, something that doesn't require a skilled examiner to sit down and, and ask the questions, uh, something that's less biased, more computerized, more automated. And they started exploring this concept of, hey, is it possible the eyes really are the uh, window to the soul? And um, in 2000 and, and and two, they, they began this work. And in 2003, they ran a lab study at the University of Utah and discovered that not only could you detect if someone was lying by just analyzing these changes in their eyes, but that it was as accurate as a polygraph, a traditional polygraph that has four in, you know, separate sensors that you get attached to and, and, and monitor other things. You know, Todd, I'm going to play this short video, and I'm sure you've seen this a million times, but this will allow our listeners to understand exactly some of the technology behind this. Sounds good. Imagine if you could spot liars just by looking into their eyes. Well, scientific research now proves that a new technology can accurately detect deception in as little as 15 minutes from someone's eyes. It's called Eye Detect by Converis. Here's how it works. Research shows that lying causes involuntary changes in the eyes. Why? Because lying is more cognitively demanding than telling the truth. In other words, you have to think harder to tell a lie, and your eyes react as a result. During an eye detect test, a participant sits in front of a computer and answers true-false questions with a mouse. During that time, iDetect monitors changes in eye behavior with a high-definition camera that takes 60 measurements per second of each eye. The test is non-invasive, meaning no cables or sensors are attached, 
and can be administered in compliance with social distancing guidelines. When the test is completed, an algorithm analyzes the data and the person is classified as either truthful or deceptive in less than five minutes. That's all it takes for this innovative technology to validate truth. iDetect is used by more than 500 customers in 40 countries. Customers include governments, law enforcement, departments of corrections, investigators, attorneys, therapists, and private companies. There are two types of iDetect tests, a 30-minute screening test, which is 88% accurate and ideal for evaluating job applicants or current employees on various topics, and the 15-minute diagnostic test, which is 90% accurate and asks specific questions, such as those in criminal cases. There's even a new version of the test for those with poor reading skills. Need to know if someone is involved in illegal or inappropriate activities, such as robbery, drug use, bribery, sexual assault, espionage, terrorism, or any other criminal behavior, then iDetect is the answer. iDetect does a better job of protecting the innocent while exposing the guilty. Never before have organizations had access to a deception detection tool this powerful. If you're looking for a fast, scalable, unbiased, non-intrusive, affordable, and consistent way to accurately detect deception and validate truth, then contact us for an iDetect demonstration. Yes, iDetect proves that the eyes are the window to the soul. Visit Converis.com. Wow, pretty uh, pretty interesting. You know, one of the things that I thought of, though, with law enforcement, and I know you use it as a law enforcement tool for uh, human resources, for hiring, but how yes. about for suspects? Then we would have to, like a lie detector, we would have to get permission from the person that was being asked to be hooked up to this. No, that, that, that's true. I, I, anytime you're using a test like this, someone has to give their consent, um, whether it be for for screening during a, a hiring process or whether it be for, uh, you know, testing a, a criminal or, sus or suspect. Um, uh, there are there is uh, an Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force in each of the uh, states across the United States. So each state has an Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force. And we have a number of these task forces that are using iDetect. Um, if you go to our website, you can read a case study um, that was published where the task force in Idaho periodically does uh, a sting operation on the weekend. They have officers who pose as a 14 or 15 year old girl online and these um, sex offenders or human traffickers will uh, start communicating online with what they think is a 14 or 15 year old girl. They'll typically arrange to meet up. And when uh, they show up at, at a hotel, for example, yeah, there's, here's a slide of it. Uh, when they show up at the hotel, uh, they get arrested at that point, And they typically say, hey, I was coming here to warn this girl she was in trouble. And the arresting officer will then say, are you willing to take a lie detection test to confirm that? And they always say yes, right? 
these stings happen typically on a weekend. Um, the ICAT group in Idaho approached us because they only had one polygraph examiner on staff and they were averaging between 10 and 20 arrests uh, on a Friday night when they would run these, uh, this operation. And they just couldn't accommodate testing the number of people that were coming, the suspects that were coming in. So they set up iDetect in a number of uh, rooms in the hotel. And uh, upon the arrest of the suspect uh, and the suspect agreeing to be tested, they simply walk them down the hall, have them sit down in front of the iDetect station and give them a test. Now, they don't test them on, you know, were you telling the truth about coming here to warn the girl? Because we all know they're, they're lying to that. But rather, the test focuses on have you had any sexual contact with a minor? And they all fail. And then the arresting officer does a post-test interview uh, or an interrogation, if you will. And what they find is between 60 and 70% of these individuals who are arrested and take the test, they end up confessing to uh, at least one, if not more, crimes that they've been involved in. And then the evidence associated with those confessions can be used against them. They don't necessarily use the results from the test that they were that they were lying because we know they were they were lying, but but rather the the, the confessions. That's okay, a very Todd. powerful tool there. Go ahead, Phil. Go ahead. No, what I was going to say was, Todd, uh, you basically answered the question I was going to ask. Uh, it's basically used in that uh, scenario to see if they could use it as an interrogation tool, catch them in a lie. Now they tell them they failed the uh, the uh, the eye detect test and. Uh, now they'll, they'll maybe confess or whatever. But one of the things that strikes me about this, I've had a little bit of experience with uh, polygraphs post my time on the NYPD when I went into private investigation business in the early 2000s. Uh, I actually shared an office with a guy that did polygraphs, and I've seen a couple of them. And the equipment at that time, uh, they didn't use the little needle with the paper. They had the uh, – it was hooked into a laptop. But there was the uh, apparatus that went around the person's chest to see – uh, how their breathing changed, and then they had the little uh, leads on the fingers and stuff. So, uh, again, uh, it was something that would place a person in a uncomfortable uh, position right at, off the bat. And a lot of times they would blame the fact that, you know, you got all this stuff on me, you're making me nervous. It looks like this is a little less cumbersome. It's, I mean, it's only really looks like three pieces of equipment, which to me looks a lot easier, more mobile. It can be done just about anywhere. All you need is a desk and a chair, it seems like, and a hookup to a laptop. So it definitely seems better than the traditional uh, lie detector test. And you, you also answered one of the questions that I had. It's about the same, uh, statistically, it's about the same results as a, a traditional lie detector. Yeah, so um, the, the accuracy, and accuracy is defined at how well does the test classify the individual correctly into one of two categories, um, credible or deceptive. Right. Some would say innocent or guilty, but it's really, you know, did it did it accurately uh, identify whether the person was telling the truth or lying about the, the topics that they were they were they were being tested on? Um, a, a polygraph, based on the analysis, um, the American Polygraph Association just completed a detailed metadata analysis, 
And what they found is the accuracy for a polygraph uh, ranges from about 72% to 89%. The reason there's such a, a massive um, range is because uh, a polygraph has a human being that is running the test and interpreting the results. And if you have someone who's not very, you know, experienced, um, uh, you know, they can, it could be closer to that 72% as opposed to the 89%. Yeah, Todd, nope. I think you just answered one of the other questions that I was going to have. A lot of times they would rely on the polygraph technician as opposed to, uh, you know, the person, uh, the, the person, obviously it shows truthfulness or deceptiveness, but uh, a lot of defense attorneys in New York, they would take polygraph results to the district attorney's office and say, listen, you know, my client is innocent here. He passed the polygraph. And the first thing the district attorney's office would ask is who administered the polygraph? Because they know that there are certain professionals that they trusted and there were others that they felt maybe weren't as experienced or uh, you know, worked for a lot of these attorneys and, and they are kind of on the expensive side. So that was one of the things that came into play, but I think you answered it right there. Yeah. You know, Todd, we have a, an obvious employee in the chat from your company, Jeff Pizzino. The eye tracker monitors how your eyes react to the truth. When you tell a lie, cognitive load increases and that causes involuntary changes in eye behavior, which the eye tracker measures. I don't think our typical chatter in our chat would know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. So that's, I mean, that's a, a key. Um, just polygraphs, some people would say, well, you know, polygraphs aren't very accurate. What if I'm nervous? All right. Uh, first and foremost, in the case of polygraph and eye detect, it's a test where you're being compared against yourself. Scientists refer to it as a within subject test. Um, you're going to be asked a set of questions that we either know you're lying to or we know you're telling the truth to, and we're going to look at how your body responds. In our case, we're going to look at how the eyes respond. Uh, then we're going to ask you a set of questions uh, that we want to know if you're lying to, and we're going to compare those two reactions. Now, in, in a polygraph, uh, it is more emotionally based. We're measuring in a polygraph changes in respiration heart rate, whether you start to sweat, and changes in blood pressure. Um, and those, those kinds of physiological changes are more emotionally based. Um, and in some cases, you can learn how to control them, right, with, with enough practice. In the case of eye detect, we're measuring cognitive load. Uh, another way of saying that is, you know, an increase in brain usage. Uh, when when people lie, it doesn't matter if they're a psychopath that, that doesn't care. If they know they're lying, um, they will exert more mental effort to cover up that lie, to communicate the lie, than they would if they were telling the truth. Doesn't matter if they don't, you know, care or feel bad about it. Um, and it's that exertion of mental effort that has an involuntary effect on the eyes. And this has been proven in other studies outside of lie detection. If I give you a difficult math problem that you, you know, do in your head, uh, and I monitor what's happening with your eyes, they will dilate more. They'll get bigger when you're solving that math problem. Uh, and the same is true, uh, you know, if it's an easy math problem, then they won't, your eyes won't dilate as much. 
that is an involuntary physiological reaction. You can't feel it and you can't control it, but it occurs. You know, Todd, and, we're so. cops. We don't solve math problems. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we became yeah. cops. Well, you're a college professor. You might solve the math problem. I'm merely saying, well, some people say, yeah, but, you know, um, I don't, I don't care about what I did. So right. when I lie, my eyes aren't going to change. Well, guess what? They are because you, you're, you're going to try to, you're going to try to look innocent and that requires more brain power. You're going to try to balance in your mind if what you're saying when you answer that question is going to contradict something that the arresting officer already knows. And so you're, you're thinking hard about, you know, is this believable? Um, what can I say that, you know, is not going to reveal that I'm lying? And that exertion of additional mental effort, uh, it's referred to as cognitive load, causes your pupils to dilate. And our eye tracking camera picks that up at 60 times per second. You know, I found out in, in, our, in the work that we did, and I don't know how this really affects your product, but the hardest people to get to tell the truth were people that believe their own lies and they could put themselves at ease because they were such good liars that, you know, very few times can they get an investigator who's experienced to believe their lies. But the best, the real hardcore criminals that had been through the system numerous times, they sometimes could get over on an investigator. And I want, I mean, I wonder, obviously this could measure because they're, their eyes are probably doing dances in their head as they're lying. But to be able to pick that up through body language, sometimes, most of the time you can, but sometimes with a really good lie is very difficult. Yeah, we've, we've had that question and, and we, we've done some research on that. We even have a simple little test. If, uh, you know, people are interested, they, they could take a little five to seven minute test that we have where we do something as simple as have you write down a number between one and 10 and then lie about having written down a number. So we'll ask you, did you write down number one? The, the computer will ask you, did you write down number one? Did you write down number two? Did you write down number three? And we'll go up the number stack and back down. And we'll, we'll bring in people who are really good liars. In fact, you know, my son was a chronic liar growing up. But we, <laughs> I, I, he was, we, we can't get tell. away with no more though. No, we couldn't tell when he was lying. And when we first started this company nine years ago with the intent of bringing the science to market, he said to me, dad, I, I can beat that test. No problem. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll put $50 on the table. Um, and let's, let's see how you can do. If, if it doesn't adequately identify the number that you wrote down, then you get the $50. And his eyes were off the chart. Uh, and we have seen this over and over again. I personally have given this test maybe a thousand times in the last nine years. And 93% um, of the time, it identifies the number that you wrote down simply on the basis of were your pupils slightly bigger when we ask you about that number versus the other nine? Todd, um, let me ask you this, though. Uh, intoxicants, 
whether it be uh, tranquilizers or alcohol. Now, we had a case recently that we profiled. We did a lot of shows on it. It was the Summer Wells case, missing five-year-old. Uh, parents were suspected as being involved in a disappearance. They, were, uh, they tried to administer a uh, lie detector test. And the first time that the mother showed up, she was intoxicated, either on pills, alcohol, or both. And they, they forego the test. And then later on, they wound up taking the test. Allegedly, they passed it. But what effect will alcohol or drugs have on the pupils in an individual? It sounds like, from what you just said, that even though a person could, like Bill brought up, they could believe their own lie, they, they're a, a professional criminal, uh, you know, lifelong criminal, arrested numerous times. It sounds like even in those cases, this, this technology will pick up their deception. However, alcohol or drugs, what effect will it have on this test? So it, 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 it can affect it can affect the test in the sense that your eyes become less elastic. They don't, they don't dilate as much or they don't constrict as much. In fact, someone who's a, you know, a really heavy coffee drinker, coffee, caffeine causes your eyes to, to constrict, not, not to dilate, but to get smaller. And so uh, we, you know, we've run, we've run a half a million of these tests, uh, a, a, across the 600 customers that are using it today. So we have a lot of data where we can analyze, you know, what the tests are doing. And um, we, you do see uh, less um, dilation and less constriction, uh, depending on, you know, if you've had four cups of coffee right before you take the test, or if you're intoxicated. Um, we have a threshold where we monitor whether or not your eyes are changing enough that we could measure a difference between a question that we know you're, you're, you're truthful on or lying to versus the primary topic. And the reason I say a question you might be lying to because the most common polygraph method is referred to as directed lie. Um, you're directed to lie on certain things so that the, the instrument can see what your body does when you're they lying. come up with a baseline, yes. Yeah, and, and those questions are things like, uh, Anytime I ask you a question that starts with in your entire life, you know, that's when you're required to lie to. So, Bill, in your entire life, have you always told the truth? No. You say yes. <laughs> okay. You yes. Because yes, you have to lie to that. So we see what your oh, body okay. does when you lie. In your entire life, have you always kept the rules? Yes. yes. In your entire life, have you ever broken the law, including speeding? No. Yes. So we, <laughs> we compare what your eyes do on that just like they do in polygraph versus right. did, did, you know, were you at the scene of the crime? Did you stab that woman? Did you steal that money? Uh, did you uh, sexually assault that, that child? Um, and, and we can measure uh, whether your eyes are changing just because this is a steady stream for 15 minutes of eye data, a million data points. Now we have some people, <laughs> we had a situation, um, the Salt Lake Police Department here in Utah uses eye detect for screening all their new hires. And they post that on, on, on the website where you know you're going to be subjected to an eye detect test. So just like in polygraph, some of these folks will go out. They know they're going to be asked about their drug use in the last three to five years. And um, they've, had, they've had folks show up for their eye detect test. Um, and I don't know how they can see to walk in the room, but they they basically put drops that you get from an ophthalmologist in. I was just going to bring that up. 
so their eyes are their eyes are dilated to 10 millimeters now you know, on average you know fluorescent light conditions in a room your eyes will typically between will be between three and four millimeters in size these guys walk in their pupils are 10 millimeters and they don't change during the test we fail them due to what's called a countermeasure um they're deliberately you know, try and pass the test by, by doing that. And, and the same principle applies to if you're on drugs, if you're intoxicated and the eyes just aren't uh, operating within the range, then then we would uh, alert you to that in the in the report that gets generated that uh, this person isn't a candidate for testing at that point in time. Folks, this is Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. If you're not subscribed to us on YouTube, please go to our YouTube Hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, ring that bell. And if you want to help support us, we have a Patreon with three different levels. You can join our Patreon. We also have a channel membership on our YouTube with five different levels. And you see the folks in the uh, chat that are with the green font. They're part of the Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories family. So if you want to be part of that family, join our YouTube uh, channel members and you can be part of the Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Story families. When you, uh, Todd, when you get the report, the report's finished, say, right, on a person, yeah. whether it's a hire or whether it's being used for criminal purposes, that has to be, let's say it's being used for criminal purposes. Now we have to break it to that defendant that, guess what, you're a lion mofo. You know, right. I'm not going to say that we're going to say it in those words, but we're going to say you lied. Every damn question you lied about. What, what's the story? Why are you lying? How what? How quickly you get that back to the investigator? And do you tell them sp- the specific questions that came back as 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 a big lie? Yeah. So I guess first and foremost, in a polygraph, and this is published in studies that have been done over many years. Um, you can test on up to four discrete topics. For law enforcement pre-employment tests, those topics would likely be drug use, commission of a serious crime since you became an adult. If you're a lateral transfer, they're going to ask if you have any uh, unreported work-related discipline, because a lot of times a lateral transfer is running from something. They're going to another state, and they're not disclosing why why they were fired or why they left. Um, And so that's typically a a question. We also have questions about, you know, are you... uh, are you are you biased uh, to people based on race, sexual orientation, et cetera? We have questions about are you uh, a domestic or foreign terrorist um, or involved in organized crime? So those are typically the topics in a polygraph. Oh, oh actually- Todd, do you ever ask? Are you now or have you ever been an Italian? Hey, hey, watch it. Watch it, Billy. Don't go there. Because <laughs> I don't know what would happen with Phil if he was asked that question. I, I, I think your, your, your camera might blow up. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but anyway, in, in a polygraph, you might react to the question about organized crime, especially if you're a lateral transfer. So your body may, in a polygraph, show that you look like you're lying to those questions. Um, when in reality, you're not. Uh, but maybe you've got a drug problem. 
and, and you're lying to that. So the studies that have been done on polygraph would show that it's the 72 to 89% accuracy is, is a, a yes or no scenario of, is this person lying to something or not? In eye detect, um, and you know, our scientists are the same scientists that have done most of the polygraph research out there. They found that because it's cognitively based, not emotionally based, uh, we, we have 88% accuracy on identifying which topic you were lying to. And the way we do that is within two minutes after the test is taken, we give you an indication of whether or not the person was credible or deceptive. And then we give you a score on a scale of one to a hundred for each of the topics. So if there were four topics, um, let's say on the drug related uh, topic, you get a one. That's the lowest score you can get. Even if, if it's less than one, we round up to one. That's considered deceptive, right? If you get a 99, that's considered uh, credible. Anything that is 50 or higher uh, based on the, the algorithms that we've developed uh, in real cases indicate indicates that the, the person is being truthful. Um, and so if you're doing a post-test interview, uh, we recommend, you know, you use uh, the investigative uh, interviewing techniques uh, that you don't walk in and say, hey, dude, you failed. Why'd you fail? Um, you're more likely to get a confession if you use the PEACE model for investigative interviewing and, um, and approach it in a different way. Uh, but, you know, in in the agencies that do that, um, out of those who fail, they, they get anywhere from 50 to 60% of the folks confessing uh, who, who show up deceptive on a given topic. And knowing, you know, what they're lying about enables you to hone in on, on the area of interest. Well, you know, Todd, I know that you use this a lot now in the hiring of police officers, which we were just discussing. When we got hired on the police department, they had us do some really strange cognitive tests. For example, take a thousand question test, which in actuality was a hundred questions asked 10 times each. Yeah. You know? yep. And I always remember the one question. Uh, I sometimes get headaches. I never get headaches. Last night I had a headache. When I drink, I get headaches. When I hit my head against the wall, I get it. Like it would ask you in all different ways and it would say, Sometimes true, never true, absolutely not true. And, you know, you'd have to answer it that way. By the time you were done with those thousand questions, you were ready to jump out the window. You know, yeah. you were. Uh, and the other thing we had to do. And you had a headache. And you had a headache. And you had a headache after that. You didn't admit it, though. But the other thing we had to do, we had to draw a house. Uh, and people kept giving you advice. Go, when you draw a house, make sure you have a chimney with smoke coming out because it looks like it's a, a happy family. Put a lot of windows in it and flowers and you know, smiles all over the place, you know, but from what I understand, there were people that would, you know, you know, un, uh, unsolicited would have an ax murder in, in the yard, you know, like obviously that guy didn't get hired. You know? yeah, yeah. That was Michael Dowd. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you don't, you don't do those type of things, but they were drawing conclusions from, from those type of psychological tests, which I find to be like, are you kidding me? I yeah. Mean, well, so, here in the United States, um, there are a lot of companies that use what's referred to as an integrity test. 
And they claim, you know, these tests have 90% accuracy in determining if you're being, if you're a person of integrity. Well, the reality is, is they're not. They're, they're less accurate than flipping a coin. They're 35 to 40% accurate. And the reason why is because they're asking hypothetical questions. And if you're really smart, you can answer the questions, you know, well, it seems like the dumb criminals are the ones that, that do, do poorly on them because they, they ask things like, uh, if you knew your coworker were stealing from the company, what would you do? A, turn them in. B, ask them to stop. C, join in. <laughs> D, none of the above. And what they're really doing is just trying to assess, um, you know, what you do in those situations. Well, like I said, really smart people will answer the way they they think you want to, you know, expect them to answer. And those tests have been proven to not be very effective, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it sounds sort of uh, ridiculous. But I'm with the pedophile thing, you know, one of the things that makes those cases almost foolproof against these pedophiles is that they're contacting these young, uh, usually they're detectives posing as a 13 or 14-year-old girl, and they have the whole transcript. So when they try to lie and they pull up the transcript, it's really tough for them to lie when yeah. it, it, the transcripts coming from their computer. I right. know in Westchester, they do those things and they have like a 99% conviction rate because they say, take this to trial and you're going to get five years in state prison. Plead guilty and you have a felony conviction, but we'll give you probation. Yep. So. Well, let, let me let me tell you a couple stories about how it's being used after these folks are arrested. In New Hampshire, uh, those that are convicted sex offenders who go to prison, they have an option of signing up, you know, for rehabilitation. And as part of that program, they're required to do what's called a sex history test, which is uh, a scenario where they're, where they're supposed to reveal all their victims, all cases where they have, you know, violated the law uh, relative to sex offenses. And then they continue through the program. And when they get to the end of the program, if, if they've complied, then they're eligible for an early release, an early parole. Um, these folks uh, are then given an ID tech test. They don't know this um, beforehand, but they're given an ID tech test. And the test focuses simply on, did you reveal all your victims? And they tend to hold back some of the more egregious victims or situations, right? Because if they reveal that, it might extend their sentence. If they pass the ID tech test, and the test is given in prison, actually, they take the ID tech instrument in, um, and they've, in the last three years since they've been using ID tech, they've probably run 300 of these tests. Then um, they're allowed an early release under parole. And the judge sentences them to uh, two uh, random, so the parole officer can call them up at any point in time and say, hey, it's time for you to come in for a test. And they're given a follow-up ID tech test to see if they've re-offended or, or to verify if they're, you know, um, violating any aspects of their parole. And it, it's been an incredible tool for them. Um, that your neighboring state there, Connecticut, uh, and you can go to our website and read the press release on this and, and read more about how they're using it. But the Department of, of Corrections in Connecticut 
uh, has engaged with the connection. They're a third party with therapists and others that assist the Department of Corrections in periodically testing these uh, probationers and parolees who are mostly sex offenders on whether or not they have reoffended. And they use this screening exam format that we have and we'll test very specifically on things like, um, have you been in close contact with any victims? Which is, you know, a violation of their parole. Have right. you, um, uh, have you, have you consumed any alcohol? That may, that may be, you know, it's not against the law, but in their case, it's against a um, uh, conditions that it yeah. 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 So uh, anyway, they're they're on they're on track to run um, fifteen hundred. Uh, tests in Connecticut to the Department of Corrections uh, this year. Uh, and it's been an incredible tool to help them uh, in that situation. So that's great. Inspector Ron Schindel, thank you so much for the 1999 Super Chat. Uh, Inspector Schindel's retired NYPD inspector, and now he's on the Port Authority. Uh, great guy, great boss. Uh, thank you so much, Ron. Um, Folks, there's some questions. Um, Martin Corderiels, I'm sorry, I work as a therapist in a closed um, forensic psychiatric hospital. I deal with the criminally insane daily. I've seen real psychopaths pass them, especially those with personality disorders. You have any comment to that? Uh? Yes. So, um if if the if the psychological order they have uh, is something like bipolar, where they really believe that they are someone else, uh, and you test them uh, at that point in time about uh, an incident that that they were involved in, um, they're they're not lying to that. <laughs> in their mind, they're not lying uh, because they really believe that they are someone else, um, and th they're living a different life than the life uh, in which they committed the crime to. So, yes, there are exceptions where it's not going to work. It has to be someone who is in uh, a state of mind that they know who they are, they know, you know what they did, and they're trying to cover it up, even though they, they have no remorse towards it. Um, they're, they it's so, you, know, you know, Todd, it's some like going back to the person I said that believes their own lies can maybe beat a lie detector test or beat something like this. Maybe not the eye detect, but they can, you know, they beat sometimes investigators who are really solid interviewers. And, you know, as I said, it's rare, but the person that right. believes their own lies sometimes can beat, can beat the interrogation. Yeah. They, they have to be though in a state of mind that they really do believe that they didn't do it or that they, you know, are someone else. Um, we, we had a case in Ohio, uh, with a guy who was on death row. He was accused of, of murdering a woman. Um, in all likelihood, he had been involved in other murders, but he was on death row specifically for the, the murder of this woman who had been stabbed 16 times. And his defense, uh, had him take a polygraph exam that focus specifically on, did you stab that woman? So whenever you're giving these tests, uh, you obviously need to construct the questions in such, such a way that you're, that you're asking uh, a, a core question that doesn't allow them to 
you know, justify it. If I, if I say, did you kill that woman? And you may have stabbed her, but then you fled the scene and don't know that she died. Then, you know, in your mind, you might be able to justify that. No, I didn't kill her. I stabbed her, but I didn't kill her. Right. So the, the polygraph exam that he took um, first asked specifically if he had, if he had stabbed that particular woman. And in the preamble, they teed up the background of who that woman is. Um, and, and he passed the polygraph and, um, the defense requested that we come in and test him with eye detect on the same topic, which we did. And he passed, he got, he got an 88 on a scale of one to a hundred, which means he had strong reactions towards being innocent for that particular issue. Um, uh, we would argue that if you, and th this is, this is math, you know, to uh, <laughs> university professors design this, it's, it's called successive hurdles, but it's the concept of using two independent tests. So polygraph is measuring more emotional response and I detect is, is measuring more cognitive uh, based responses. And uh, if you design a test for both of those tools and the person passes both or fails both, so you have agreement between the two, then from a probability standpoint or a mathematical standpoint, there's a 99% likelihood or probability that, that you got it right, uh, that the two tools got it right. Um, and so in this case, um, uh, the defense actually used it as evidence to get him off of death row. Uh, he's still in prison, but um, the judge did consider uh, the information from it. And um, so, Todd, one of the things that I know from, you know, uh, anybody that talks about lie detector tests and how to beat them and stuff, there was a, a, an old way of thwarting it by putting a tack in your shoe. And when you had the response, no matter what the response was, you pressed your toe onto the tack and you concentrated, I guess, on the pain and all your responses. Well, you know, I'm talking about the old fashioned uh, polygraph, the breathing, uh, the blood pressure, all of that would basically be the same. Would that be effective in this test in the, in the eye detect? Um, so we've, uh, you know, first and foremost, um, in order for that tack to work properly in a polygraph, what you have to do is, is invoke pain when you're being asked the comparison question, not the primary target question. And the reason for that is what you're trying to do is cause through the pain an increase in your heart rate or, or your uh, perspiration, your, your respiration, et cetera. On the, on the, on the comparison question, Sometimes people call it a baseline. It's not really a baseline. It's, it's, the, it's the question that we're comparing against. And that way, uh, when, when you lie on the primary question and your heart rate goes up, now the two are the same. So they're really looking for within subject difference between that. Um, we just finished a study um, through university in the Czech Republic, uh, a scientist there that that tested uh, uh, about, uh, about 200 people and they gave them suggestions on how they could possibly beat eye detect. And they used the suggestions that are like this in a polygraph. And what they found is the study is just getting uh, peer reviewed and will be published soon. 
what they found is, is those who applied these same uh, emotionally based countermeasures in the study actually uh, increased their deceptive signals on the primary topic versus uh, decreasing them uh, so that they could appear more innocent. Um, so that, that's the only study that we have where we've looked at this closely, but we believe that it is a issue of measuring cognitive load as opposed to measuring the emotional things like a traditional polygraph would measure. We're going to take a quick uh, commercial break, Phil. Joel Murray, attorney at law. Have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He literally knows both sides of the fence. His website is jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702. Or you could email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. Find honest job applicants and conduct better investigations. If someone lies to get a job, they'll probably lie on the job. I detect accurately spots a lie by watching the eyes. Over 60 law enforcement agencies use it today to quickly find honest applicants. I detect also helps solve crimes, reduce risk, save time, and spend less. Right now, we're actually interviewing the CEO, Todd Mickelson, and he's sharing stories about how I detect is changing the way the world detects deception. Remember, the eyes don't lie. That's Converis.com, 1-801-331-8840. And you can email them at info at Converis.com. That's the first time I ever read that one, Todd. you like it? It was awesome. You did a great job. <laughs> Thanks. I want, to, I want to put the machine on his eyes to make sure he was telling the truth. <laughs> Listen, we read that Joe Murray commercial with him in, in on the show a lot of times. And uh it's a little funny reading it when the person is there, but uh, you, you know what, Todd? I want to get into one thing now. In my time as an investigator, I did a ton of interview interrogation, got a lot of confessions out of guys. And a lot of time we would work off body language, like Bill said. And, you know, most of the time it would be, you know, you start with, with questions that you knew the answers to and even pedigree stuff. And the guy's kind of looking you in, or a guy or a girl, whoever it was, they're looking you right in the eye. And then, you know, when you start to get into the meat of, the investigation or the topics, you know, you want to talk about the actual crime. Where were you? Were you there? You're not there. What did you do? And that's when they'd start to look away and, and you start to pick up on the body language. So uh, with this specific uh, machine, now the person has to keep their, their uh, head in that little apparatus on their chin and they have to like look directly into the camera. So if they look away, that's the point I'm trying to get at. Like, you know, a lot of times people look away. So if they look away, what happens? The machine will, will direct them to, you know, look straight into the camera. Is that how it works? Yeah. So first and foremost, that chin rest um, is no longer required. Uh, when we first released the product, the, the eye tracking cameras weren't good enough to, uh, to capture all the data that you want to capture. Uh, and if people move around a lot, it, it had a hard time locking in and, and still getting those measurements. Yeah, that's what I was uh, getting. So we've, we've, uh, we've done away with that now. It's not required to be used. Um, but to, 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 to answer your question, um, yeah, if they don't, if they don't look at the screen, then the test doesn't proceed. So, uh, if they're deliberately, 
you know, some, a countermeasure that some people use is to close their eyes when they answer. They think, oh, well, if I if I have my eyes closed when I answer, they won't they won't get me, yeah. right? But the, the the reality is is we're 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 capturing like I said a million data points, sixty unique measurements per second. So That's we give incredible. you we give you a, a you know we, there's a timestamp to the millisecond, and then it's right and left eye size of the pupil, uh, out to a hundredth of a thousandth of a millimeter. Uh, we also capture um, fixation. So where are you looking on the screen? Um, we do that primarily so that we can see if they're reading the question, if it if the question is presented to them. But we have a version where there are no questions on the screen, you know, the, the objects that show up on the screen to capture their attention. And um, and like when they when they click the mouse, to answer yes or no, then it will show the mouse being depressed, you know, on the uh, on the screen, uh, indicating that they just clicked it and answered. Um, but yeah, obviously, if they sat there with their eyes closed, we wouldn't be able to score it. But you would know that we have a separate, uh, as a person who is watching the test, we have a separate piece of software where you can monitor in real time if you're getting eye data, if they're cooperating, uh, if that person's under drugs and their eyes are dilated to 10 millimeters, you'll see that in real time uh, during the test and, and could stop it. Todd, uh, Milwaukee civilian has a pretty interesting uh, question. I mean, no disrespect, but I have concerns about the science. How does I detect balance? Simple efficacy, does it work? And scientific method, is it testable, reproducible, and predictive? Wow, we have some scientists in our chat. We usually don't. Question, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So our, our scientists are the most well-respected scientists in the world in this area of lie detection. Uh, they consult to the U.S. government and many other federal governments. Uh, they've been doing this, like I said, they invented the computerized polygraph in 1988. Uh, since 2003, um, there have been 19 lab and field studies done uh, on, on this technology, on ocular deception detection. Ten of them are peer-reviewed studies. So these are groups that scientifically get the product and go run a study and they run a study where they have a confirmed set of innocent people, confirmed set of guilty people, where they have definitive ground truth on whether or not they're, whether they did it or not. And then they compare uh, I detect independently against that ground truth. And those studies are all accessible on our website. You can go to converis.com, click on a link and actually go read the published studies uh, that show this is scientifically validated and, and something you can replicate on your own if you'd like. Milwaukee civilian, thank you so much for the ten dollars super chat. This is uh, so interesting. I mean, do you do you foresee in the future eye detect replacing lie detectors or just working alongside lie detectors? That's a great question. So we we haven't talked about it much, but we have a product called Eye Detect Plus. Eye Detect Plus was long. that's the one my wife ordered. Yeah, awesome. It's better. It's it's ninety one percent accurate. So you, in that slide deck I sent you, Bill, there's a slide that shows 
someone taking an iDetect Plus test. It's basically sit down in front of iDetect, an iDetect station or computer. Mm -hmm. And in addition to using ocular, we use the same four channels that are used in a polygraph. Okay. The difference is um, we have launched a better way of getting blood pressure so that you don't have that uncomfortable arm cuff on your, on your arm. Part of the reason a polygraph exam on average is an hour and a half is because you have to pump that arm cuff up while you're getting the blood pressure. Well, in iDetect Plus, you don't. Uh, if you look on this individual's wrist in the lower left part of that picture, uh, there's a little sensor on his wrist. And there's one on his right wrist as well that you can't see in this picture. But that, that's capturing an EKG uh, signal. That coupled with a photoelectric plasmograph uh, or pulse signal that's on a clamp on his middle left finger enables us to get the same capability that you can get with uh, uh, an arm cuff, a, a cardio blood pressure cuff. So if you live in a state that requires a polygraph by definition, then you can use iDetect Plus because it is a polygraph. The difference is um, the questions are presented by the computer. We capture all the ocular data at the same time we're capturing all the same data that a traditional polygraph captures. And we have an algorithm that scores the result overall. If you wanna analyze and score the polygraph components uh, manually like they do in a traditional polygraph, you can pull the charts into your polygraph software and, and do that as well. Todd, I got to ask, um, this is sort of like a marketing question. Uh, what does it take for a person to be able to operate uh, the, uh, the the machinery? Uh, do, what, what do you normally do? Do you train people and then sell it to the police agency or a private investigation firm or whoever it is? Or do you just go out and you you supply the, uh, the test? So uh, all of the training is available online free of charge. Uh, we do periodic live training sessions that you can join online or you can come in person if, you know, during the pandemic, we couldn't do that. But uh, you can come online or, or, or come in person now. Uh, there's a three day training course. The first day that's five hours long teaches you everything you would need to know to turn on the computer, uh, get it set up, monitor when the test is happening, that the person isn't sitting there with their eyes closed and applying countermeasures. And, um, and the second and third day is to teach you how to create your own tests that you would load onto the ID Tech station. So most agencies will buy an ID Tech station. It retails at uh, $4,800. And then they will purchase uh, a license to run tests. And the licensing is based on how many, how many tests you wanna run in a year. So we work with you to set up a subscription and, and once you're set up, then you just run tests. Um, you can attend the training and then we have certification tests that can, uh, can assess if you know what you're doing. Uh, and uh, you can take those online and get certified. But most agencies will do this themselves. You know, back to the ICAC example, uh, some of the Crimes Against Children task forces will carry these devices with them when they show up on, you know, at a, at a home where there's abuse, uh, 
they'll sometimes ask the individual if they're willing to take a test right then and there. And before they have a chance to lawyer up, uh, they will test them. Uh, and they can do it because, you know, it's really uh, someone just that, that would need some basic computer skills uh, to turn the device on and make sure everything is set up properly. Todd, the screening test, is that a written, the 30-minute the screening test as opposed to the actual 15-minute diagnostic test? Is that written? Uh, it's all done on the computer. In fact, uh, the first five to seven minutes of it is a uh, preamble, an introduction where it describes the test topics. So if I'm going to ask you if you've used drugs that are against the department policy, you, you need to know what the department policy is. And so we use, we use route maps to present that, you know, it might say, and build it out in a visual form and it's a computerized voice. So it's consistent. It describes what we mean when we say, have you violated the department's drug policy? Okay. Then when it gets into the test itself, it simply asks, uh, you know, have you violated the, the department drug policy? And you click yes or no. And while you're, you know, you're clicking and doing all that, we capture these changes in your eyes. So it's 30 minutes because uh, in a screening test, you know, you got five to seven minutes describing um, the nature of the test topics. Uh, and you're asking about four discrete topics. So it just takes longer. The 15 minute test is a diagnostic test or an investigative test where you're testing on one topic. Did you stab that person? Were you at the scene of the crime? Did you steal that money? Did you, you know, sexually assault that, that woman? Joe Murray, thank you for the $10 super chat. Joe Murray happens to be an attorney and he has this question. Todd, this is a very interesting show. I'm going, I'm joining late. So you may have answered this. Have any courts accepted this? I detect evidence. I would love to learn more about it. They have. Um, so in New Mexico, we had a case where, um, long story short, the guy was accused of uh, sexual uh, assault of a 14-year-old girl. And um, uh, the judge, uh, the defense requested that I detect evidence, I detect test results be utilized as evidence. Uh, the judge then determined that uh, a Daubert hearing was required. Yeah, if you go up uh, or down, I'm not sure which. Yeah, I, I which saw order. that one before. Let me see uh, if I can find it. Yeah, it's that one, New Mexico. Okay, I'll put that so one. So you, you, you can you can go to our website, and uh, there's a press release on this that will take you to the results of the Daubert hearing. But in the end, um, it was accepted as evidence. And uh, so it can now be utilized in New Mexico. We have two other states right now that are in the, in the, in the middle of Daubert hearings as well. And we're hopeful that the results will be similar in those states. And then as we get more states that, you know, based on precedent, you know, we'll see other states allowed as well. Uh, Todd, Doreen Ocean asks you, how do we know if your uh, algorithms are true? We all know how data can be uh, rigged. Yeah, so uh, it's a logistic regression algorithm, um, and you can go read about this also on our website. If you go download the technical white paper, uh, it will show you uh, at a high level um, what the uh, elements are that we're, that we're measuring. So we don't manipulate the algorithm. Uh, it's set, and and it's it's a model that that uses things such as uh, pupil diameter, 
uh, when they're answering. Pupil diameter, uh, uh, you know, half a second before they answer. Um, where they're fixating on the screen during the questions. Um, and so each of these predictors, uh, these influence, influencing elements that are eye-related um, are given different weights. Uh, pupil diameter has a greater weight than where you fixate on the screen. And in the studies, those 19 studies that I mentioned that are published, if you go pull up the peer-reviewed studies, uh, you will see uh, which features are more diagnostic and um, uh, the uh, effect sizes uh, from the individual studies uh, from those different elements uh, that are applied during the algorithm. You know, Todd, this is uh, amazingly interesting. Rita Schaefer, thank you for the 999 Super Chat. But, you know, we're over an hour and five minutes. And uh, a lot of people stayed for this whole thing. So you, I told you, Todd, we were going to lead you down the road that you had no idea where you were going. But we're professional investigators, and we know how to ask the questions. See? You got a little nervous in the beginning. But see? we An hour went by like it was nothing. That's right. Thank you. <laughs> Phil, final words. Final words. This was really an amazing show tonight to, to hear about this new technology. Uh, you know, uh, lie detectors have been around for a long time. I think this is obviously a step up from that. And the fact that now you integrated with the plus system, you integrated the lie detection uh, previously used into your uh, your new system with the eye detect. So I think that uh, bring, raises your percentages up, which I think is great. And uh, uh, like I said earlier, when I was in the private investigation business, a lot of times the district attorney would, uh, you know, lessen uh, whether a person, I had a case where there was a, it was a sex abuse case and they were trying to put the person on a, on the registry as part of the plea deal. And if the person had passed the polygraph, they weren't going to go on the uh, sex offender registry and the person didn't fail. And they, I believe they went on. So uh, it's a great tool. I think uh, it's one of the extra tools in the toolbox. And uh, I just think that uh, it's really fascinating stuff. Um, if someone wanted to get a, uh, a light detector test through your, your company, uh, just one, let's say, would you guys be able to facilitate that or it'd have to go through someone that, that uh, supplies the test? Yeah, so we have we have 150 what we call service providers. These are okay. in many cases private investigators or independent polygraph examiners who have bought the system. And just like uh, if you were to call them and say, "Hey, will you come give a polygraph exam?" You can call and have them come in and give an eye detect exam. Okay. Uh, if if you want to try it out on your own. Uh, reach out to us at info at Converis.com or go to our website at Converis.com and uh, you can you can click on a, a link there to request more information and we will uh, point you to someone that's near you that uh, uh, would allow you to be able to touch and feel and try out the system for yourself. If you want to try it out for yourself, you know, reach out to us as well. Um, you know, we've got 600 customers across the globe, many in law enforcement in the U.S., but also outside the U.S., uh, using it for pre-employment screening, as well as these investigative type testing cases that we've talked about. And and we'd be happy to, to share more with you if you just reach out to us directly. Joe Murray, uh, he says, I just found a case where it was mentioned, U.S. versus Drake, U.S. District Court uh, from Idaho, 2021. 
Look at Joe. He's doing his research. He's, he's on his game. See, that's you know what it is. These, attorney, these lawyers job. making 500 an hour, they have this stuff at their fingertips, you know? And uh, He deserves a thousand, Joe. He does. <laughs> Joe, thank you for the $5 super chat. Todd, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, it was fascinating. I didn't know really what to expect, but it really was fascinating. And uh, we would, you know, we're going to read your commercial for 10 more shows. So, uh, you should be getting some business from this, I hope. Well, that'd be fun. great. I'd, I'd love to come back. We've got, as I shared with you, Bill, in the slide deck, you know, we could talk about 20 different specific cases, some where people were exonerated and proven innocent, some where it helped to ensure that, you know, that they were we got the evidence they were guilty and, and then got a confession or whatever else. And and uh, I could I could certainly talk for another hour easily. That would uh, that would be great. You know, something we could even bring you on with a, a a case that you know nothing about, and see and ask you how you would go about using the technology on a specific case. I think that could be interesting too. I okay. like protecting the innocent as well as uh, exposing the guilty. That's that's really great that it, it works both ways. You know? I just like to put Todd on the spot. Sure. Because <laughs> when he has that, those three letters after his name, CEO, come on, CEO, take it from the NYPD, you know? <laughs> That's so right. He held up pretty good, Billy. I he did great. I thought he did, he did great. Good. Folks, yeah. thank you so much for tuning in tonight uh, to Police Off me. the Cuff Real Crime Stories. On behalf of myself, uh, Phil Grimaldi, and Todd Mickelson, the CEO of Converse, uh, Thank you so much, and we'll see you on the next show. Stay safe, everyone. Thank you. One episode, just ain't enough.